The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Praise the Lord. Let's go ahead and pull out our Bibles. And tonight I'll be talking you, to you from this subject, Dismantling Strongholds. We'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, so you can go ahead and flip there or click there on your mobile device. And I want to talk about dismantling strongholds. Now when I say stronghold, I'm referring to that area of your life where there is a recurring pattern of defeat. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It's that place in your life where the enemy's got your number. He's got you licked. It's quite literally a stronghold. It could be a temper that you can't control, or it could be an insecurity that you can't shake, or it could be a lust that you can't seem to beat. If you're not sure of what your stronghold is, just start there. Go for that place. Look for that place in your life where there is a recurring pattern of defeat. That's the thing that we're going to look at taking down and dismantling tonight. And God wants to do that. You know how I can say that with confidence? Because of what we read in his word. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says this. Thanks be to God who always, always, always leads us in triumph. So this is what God does. He always leads us in triumph. But how many of you know that it's possible for God to have all the power and all the victory and for us to lead lives of utter defeat? It's possible for him to have all the power and all the victory, but for us to walk in total and utter defeat. That's why we need to learn how to dismantle those strongholds in our lives, because we know that God's desire is for us to walk in that victory. So that's what we're going to talk about. Now, the, the Greek word for stronghold, it literally means a hard place. And it can refer to a fortress or a castle or an entrenchment. When an army or an individual found themselves under attack in ancient times, they knew that if they could retreat to their stronghold, that they would be kept safe there. Years ago, I visited Ireland. I had the, uh, the opportunity to travel over there and do some ministry. And, and if you've ever been to Ireland, there's just all kinds of castles all over Ireland. And so we visited castles with names like Blarney and Kilkenny. I think we've got a couple of pictures. I think this is Kilkenny Castle. And you can just, you can see what, what these fortresses were made of. I mean, these have been renovated, but all the castles we saw had these big, strong, thick walls. Most of them were surrounded by moats. Nearly all of them had these tall turrets with slits in them where the archers could shoot their arrows and be kept safe from the attackers on the outside. And then all of them had drawbridges, Walking through them was like stepping back in time to medieval ages or medieval times, which is when most of them were built. And that's just crazy. I mean, a lot of these castles in Ireland dated back older than our country even exists, yet they still stand to this day. And I guess it just goes to show how hard it is to take down a stronghold or a fortress. That's really the first point I wanted to make with you this evening. Strongholds don't come down easily. 
It takes a lot of effort and a lot of work. They don't want to come down. Now that's true on an earthly level as it relates to these physical fortresses, but it's even more true of the spiritual strongholds that the enemy builds up in our lives. Anyone in here who's ever struggled with an addiction or some other deeply entrenched sinful pattern and tried to shake that, you know what I'm talking about. So where do these strongholds come from? What are their origins? Well, as you look at it, there are a number of places where they, 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 they really feed off of. Perhaps the most common way that strongholds get built up in our lives is through unrepentant or unconfessed sin. This is why it's so important that when you fall, when you mess up, that you're quick to repent, that you're quick to confess your sins so that times of refreshing can come from the presence of the Lord. Because when you don't, that gives the enemy an opportunity. And that sin then begins to entrench itself more and more deeply into the fabric of our lives until it becomes almost seemingly impossible to break free from it. Another way that strongholds often take root is through illegal drug use or perhaps through participation in the occult, through Wicca or white magic or black magic or any of these kinds of things. These, these kinds of activities are the equivalent of hanging a vacancy sign on your heart and rolling out the welcome mat for the enemy, which is why God tells us no to these things in our lives. Other strongholds in our life, they're things that get passed down to us from generation to generation. As you look at your own story, perhaps you notice sins that are present in your life that were also part of your dad's life or your mom's life and your grandpa's life before them. And and what we find is that these things, these sinful behaviors can get passed down from generation to generation until someone stands up and says, in the name of Jesus, no more, I'm breaking this thing off and it's not going to the next generation. And then one more thing that I'll mention And and this is another really powerful one that allows the enemy to set up strongholds in our lives is when we harbor unforgiveness towards someone. When we harbor that that bitterness in our soul, it it, it sprouts a, a root of bitterness. And it gives the enemy the advantage to keep us in bondage. So so these are a few of the ways that these strongholds get set up in our life. But here's here's another thing about strongholds that I want you to take note of is the things in your life that have you so defeated right now, they didn't start out that way. Strongholds don't start out as strongholds. They almost always start out as small concessions or compromises in our heart that the enemy then seizes upon and builds upon. This is what led the Apostle Paul to to write this in Ephesians 4.27. He said, don't give place to the devil. Now take note of that word place because it's important. It's the Greek word topos, T-O-P-O-S, topos. Same word from which we derive our English word topography. Quite literally, what Paul is saying here is that it's possible for us as believers to give actual territory in our spiritual lives and hand that over to the devil. And Paul's saying, don't even give him an inch because the the moment you do, he's going to try to take a mile. So don't even open that door. Another way that that same verse gets translated is don't give the devil a foothold. Now, this makes me think of rock climbing. I'm a big fan of of watching these guys on the rock and and some of these movies like Free Solo, if you ever saw that one. This guy, Alex Honnold, he 
climbed the face of El Capitan with no ropes. It's a crazy documentary. But if you've ever watched these rock climbers, it, you know that it doesn't necessitate much of a, of a, a hold for them to, to, to gain purchase on the rock. It might just be the smallest little undulation or dimple on the face of a rock and they can wedge their toes into that thing and then gain purchase and then from that foothold then push off to take even more ground and gain more territory on the rock. And Paul's like saying, don't give the devil a foothold as small as it might be. Because if you give him a foothold, guess what? It's only a matter of time before that foothold becomes a stronghold. And as we've already noted, strongholds don't come down easily. Of course, you don't need me to tell you that. Most of us, many of us, we already know that to be true because you've tried and tried and tried again to take down your stronghold, but it hasn't come down yet. You may have experienced so much defeat in this area of your life that you've stopped even trying to overcome it. You've just come to accept it as a fact of life. Maybe you even tried mustering up your willpower, right? And we use our willpower and we grit our teeth and we clench our fists and, and we give it our best effort. And that might last a little while, depending on how much willpower you have. You might make it two weeks or two months or even two years, but eventually you fell back to your stronghold again. What we're about to learn in this text is that God hasn't left us defenseless in those battles against sin. You see, according to this text in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, God has given us tools, weapons that have been endued with divine power to demolish the strongholds in our life. Go ahead and read with me there in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power. Everybody say divine power. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, I love this. He doesn't say we're just going to, you know, kind of resist the strongholds. He says we're going to demolish them. And just so you know, that word in the original language literally speaks of shattering or smashing or destroying. There's this scene in the Avengers movie where they turn to Hulk and they say, Hulk, smash. And that's what we're going to see God do to the strongholds in our life tonight. He's going to smash them down. And how does he do that? What are these weapons that God has given to us to dis destroy or dismantle or demolish the strongholds? Well, we're told a couple of things about them in verse 4. The first thing to note is that they're spiritual weapons. They're not earthly now, you probably noticed how Paul drew a distinction between earthly and spiritual battles in those verses. In an earthly war, you employ earthly tactics. And you use things like guns and grenades and tanks. But we're not in an earthly battle, according to the Apostle Paul. Our battle is primarily, listen, our battle is primarily spiritual in nature and not physical. What that means is the fight that you think you're having with your spouse, it really has a spiritual root. It's not really about your boss, but it's about the devil. It's not really about you and your kids. It's about what the, is happening behind the scenes in the spiritual realm. And so if you're going to win those battles, then you've got to learn how to fight the right fight. Many of us are fighting the wrong fight, which is why we're not seeing victory. 
So Paul tells us it's a spiritual battle, so we need to learn how to employ spiritual weapons to defeat the enemy. The second thing he tells us is that the weapons God has given to us have divine power. Now, we've got to learn how to tap into this divine power. I want to just tease this thought out for a minute because it's too cool. Earlier, a moment ago, I was talking about the insufficiency of willpower, right? Because willpower, it describes one degree or one level of power, but it's certainly not the highest form of power. We talk about manpower from time to time, which is stronger. And then there's, there's horsepower, which I read this past week is about 10 times stronger than manpower. And then in the industrial age, we were introduced to steam power. Like, think of a steam-powered locomotive and how much power that has to pull heavy payloads down the tracks. But today, of course, the greatest power source known to man is nuclear power, right? And nuclear power is way, 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 way stronger than all the other forms of power that I just mentioned combined. I was reading as an example of the, the capacity of nuclear power, I was reading about the biggest nuclear bomb that America has ever tested. It was a bomb called Castle Bravo, and it had an explosive power of 15 megatons. Now, one megaton is equivalent to one million pounds of TNT. So 15 megatons is the equivalent of 15 million pounds of TNT. Now, you can imagine the explosion and the mushroom cloud and the power that was released in that moment when that bomb went off. Yet, as great as it was, that doesn't even begin to touch the kind of power that Paul describes here when he talks about divine power. This is power on a whole nother level. When you talk about divine power, when you're looking for an example of what divine power is capable of, you don't even have to go past Genesis 1.1. Because there we're told that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he said, light be. And with one word, he spoke into existence the entire cosmos. By the way, at last measurement, Astronomers tell us that the known universe, and I say known universe because it's always growing and expanding, they said the known universe is about 93 billion light years in diameter. And God spoke that into existence with his divine power in a single word. But not even that, as cool and as big as that demonstration of power was, it's not the ultimate expression of God's power. For that, we need to go to the cross of Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. Because on the cross, when Jesus died for the sins of the world, he shattered the power of hell and sin and death itself. And the earth shook and the veil was rent in two and the way into God's presence was made open. That's the divine power that Paul's talking about here. It's the power that raises the dead. It is quite literally earth-shaking, death-defeating, hell-conquering power. And Paul says that's the power that God has given to us to take down strongholds. <laughs> this is great. This is good news. In his letter to the Ephesians, 
Paul was praying for them at the end of the first chapter, and he wanted them to know the greatness of the power that had been made available to them. And he said in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, that it's the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. That's the power that lives in me and in you. So how does it work? How does God's divine power in us take down the strongholds in our lives? Well, that's what Paul gets into in verse five. He says, we demolish, so we demolish strongholds, that's verse four. Now he uses the same language to dive, do the deep dive with us. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So this is really interesting, right? Because in this verse, Paul is telling us that God's divine power has been given to us to demolish arguments, pretensions, and everything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Now, now let me dig a little deeper. The message translation of the Bible, it, it, it parses out that same verse in this way. It says, we use our powerful God tools, our spiritual weapons, to smash warped philosophies and tear down barriers erected against the truth of God. Now, if you're a little confused, don't worry about it. I was too when I read that because I'm sitting there and I'm reading that and I'm thinking, wait a minute, I thought we were talking about tearing down strongholds, these behavioral problems in our life. But here Paul's saying, no, no, it's, the power is there to demolish warped philosophies. It, it's to demolish these, these barriers to truth. So, so what's going on here? I'll tell you what. What Paul is saying here, and this is so important, this is so huge, what Paul is telling us is that behind every self-defeating habit in our lives is some lie that we have believed either about God or about ourselves. Amen. So he's getting to the root of the problem, and it's really important that we get this, because if you don't get this, then you'll continue to go after the wrong things, and that stronghold will wield its power in your life. Paul is saying, you gotta start by attacking the lie that you've believed. You see, our tendency is to want to attack the behavior that we're trying to rid our lives of. So we, we don't like this thing or we wanna change that thing and so we, we, we spend our efforts and our energy on, on dealing with that. But Paul says, no, you gotta start with the lie because the, the behavior is just the symptom and the root problem is something that is much more deeply embedded. So an illustration to help drive home the point. Imagine that you go to the doctor because, or someone goes to the doctor because they have this lingering cough that they can't get rid of, and the doctor runs a series of tests and diagnoses the individual with lung cancer. Now imagine that he then says, okay, here's a bunch of cough drops. This should help with the cough. Now you're free to go. Dealing with the cough doesn't deal with the root problem, does it? It just deals with the symptom. He might feel better for a moment, but he hasn't taken care of the real problem. That's what we often do when we attack the behavior or the problem as we see it without dealing with the lie. You see, the, the root of every stronghold is a lie that we have believed. So if you want to take down the stronghold, you got to start with the lie. And here's where we learn about the character of our enemy. You see, Satan... He's a lot of things, but chief among them is he is a liar. The Bible says it like this, when Satan lies, he's speaking his native tongue, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Interestingly, that's the only time in scripture where Satan is referred to as a father or a creator of anything, and it's here in relation to lies. So he lies to us over and over and over again, and when we believe his lies, 
We give him access to us. And from there, he begins to stack other lies on top of the original lie until he gets firmly established this stronghold in our lives. I'll give another verse to give context, provide context for you. This one's from Isaiah, it's chapter five, verse 18. And listen to way, the way Isaiah describes it. He says, what sorrow for those who drag their sins behind them with ropes made of lies, who drag wickedness behind them like a cart. Doesn't that paint a picture? Have you ever seen someone who's just completely thrown away their future, they're thrown away their, their family, they're thrown away their life, and why have they done it? Because of, they can't let go of some lie that they believe, and it's just like they're dragging this heavy cart uphill, and the thing attaching them to the cart is these ropes that are made of lies. And that's the devastating thing about the lies in our lives. When we believe the lie, it affects our lives as though it were true, even when it's not. Does that make sense? If you believe a lie, it will affect your life as though it were true, even if it's not. An example, for centuries, people believed that the earth was flat. There are still a few out there today. I watched a documentary on them on Netflix, but I'm getting off track. There were people that believed the earth was flat, and because they believed that lie, they never sailed beyond the horizon line. They stayed close to shore, and the lie impacted their ability to find new worlds because they believed the lie. Similarly, when we as Christians believe the lies of the enemy, those lies affect us as though they were true, even though they aren't. So how do you demolish a stronghold like that? It's a simple two-part process. And my guess is you guys already know the answer, but tonight we're gonna do it. We're gonna put it into practice. So here's the two-part process for dismantling the lies, the, the warped philosophies, the strongholds in our lives. First and foremost, we have to identify the lie. Identifying the problem is easy, but identifying the lie that is supporting that problem or behavior pattern or whatever it is, that's a little, it's gonna require a little more work. So we identify the lie that we've believed about God or about ourselves or about other people. And then we replace the lie with the truth. We replace Satan's lies with God's truth. So let's just walk through both of those things. We got to identify the lie, that's number one. And the way that we do that is by taking every thought captive. Using sanctified minds, allowing our minds to be transformed through the renewing of our minds by saturating ourselves with scripture, we take every thought captive. We need to understand something. Our minds are ground zero in the battle against the devil. The mind is the citadel of the soul, and the devil knows this. That's why he aims all of his fiery darts at our minds, and he constantly bombards us with thoughts. He knows that if he can get us to think the wrong things, then it's only a matter of time before we end up doing the wrong things. Wrong thinking leads to wrong living. Let me ask you this, and I'll, I'll kind of rephrase the question like this. Have, have you ever been attacked by your own thoughts? Somebody, somebody testify, somebody raise your hand. Don't leave me alone up here. How many, how often are you attacked? I mean, let's put it this way. Have you been attacked by your own thoughts during church? Is it just me? Sometimes it feels like my worst enemy is my inner me. I read one study this past week that said the average person is bombarded with 500 intrusive or unintentional thoughts a day. 
The same study went on to say that each one of those unwanted thoughts lasts on average for about 14 seconds. I did the math for you. That adds up to about two hours a day that we spend battling unwanted and intrusive thoughts. Thoughts like, you're not good enough. You're always gonna struggle with this. If they knew who you really are, they wouldn't love you. They'd leave you. Again, this is why we have to learn how to take our thoughts captive. If we're not careful, Satan's lies will poison our thinking, sabotage our future, and rob us of the victory that God wants us to live. In his letter to the Romans, Paul said it like this. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature, what do they do? They think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. In other words, Paul is telling us that our lives will continually move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. If you want to change your life, then you have to start by changing your mind. But we can't start, we can't stop there. We start by identifying the lies. And then once we've done that, we follow that up with replacing Satan's lies with God's truth. Jesus said it like this in John chapter 8. He said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It is the truth that deliver us, delivers us rather from the bondage and the prison of the enemy's lies. You see, the lies of the enemy, they create a false prison around us, but it is the truth of God that functions like a key and unlocks the door to give us access to freedom. Again, a couple of examples of how this might play itself out in your life. Let's say you struggle with people-pleasing, and it gets you in trouble constantly because you're always trying to please someone, and so you find yourself in compromising situations because their opinion matters to you a whole lot. Now, as you dig into that problem, what you might discover is that the lie that you have believed is that in some measure, for some reason, your worth is attached to what other people say about you. And so this is the lie that you have believed that's causing all these problems in your life. And what you need to do is replace that lie with the truth of God that says, I don't need to please men because to please men are living for the the, living for the approval of man is a snare, the Bible says. Besides, as a child of God, I already have the approval of the only person whose opinion matters at all, and it's Jesus. And he calls me his kid. Then again, maybe your problem is with something like porn. And you drill into that a little bit, and you start to see that your lie, your, the, the lie that you've believed is that, well, it doesn't hurt anybody else, so it must not be that big of a deal. Well, your faith statement might sound something like this. No, no, it is hurting someone. It's hurting me, and it's hurting all of these people who I'm diminishing. Besides that, I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit, and God's Spirit dwells within me. I'm a vessel of righteousness, and I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at another woman. Maybe your stronghold is rejection. Then you surround that lie with the truth of the acceptance that you have in your Heavenly Father. Maybe your stronghold is fear. Surround the lies of that with God's love because God's perfect love casts out fear. If your stronghold is anger, then memorize verses that talk about the grace of God because it dispenses that fear or that that anger. If your stronghold is failure, surround it with verses that talk about your victory in Jesus. The key in all of these areas is to 
take the thoughts captive, identify the lies that are outside the boundaries of what God's word declares to be true, and then begin to walk in the truth of what God has already said. There's a great story that I'll finish with comes to us out of the Old Testament book of Joshua, and I think it wonderfully depicts and illustrates everything that we've talked about so far tonight. And it's this great story about the children of Israel after wandering through the wilderness for some 40 years, God finally taps Joshua on the shoulders and tells him it's time to enter in and, beginning and begin to possess the land of promise that I swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And as they take their first steps into the promised land, having miraculously crossed the Jordan River, what did they come upon but Jericho? Now, Jericho is a city that's formidable. It's surrounded by these big, thick, impregnable, impenetrable walls. And Joshua is sitting there staring at these walls, and he's wondering what he is supposed to do. Joshua, being a military man, perhaps started to run through the options. And he could use a battering ram to try to break through the gates of this city, but a military campaign like that would cost many lives. It would be tremendously hard on the people. He could wait them out. That was another popular strategy of the day, but that would take a long time. And as he's thinking through his options, one day God comes to him. And God gives him his battle strategy. And of course, it was unorthodox to say the least. Didn't employ the use of battering rams or soldiers or anything like that. Instead, God says to Joshua, I want you to have the people march around the city once in a day and then come back to camp and camp. And then I want you to do it again on the next day and do it again on the next day after that and again on the next day after that. And I want you to do it for seven days. And then on the seventh day, I want you to march around the city seven times. And then on the seventh time, I want you to let out a shout. And when you shout, when your shouts go up, the walls are going to come down. And this is the battle plan that God gives to Joshua. And it's obviously a crazy strategy that no other military general would have even given a, a passing thought. But God was wanting to drive home a lesson to Joshua and us. And what is it? That the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, they're not earthly, but they're mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. And thankfully for us, Joshua was a man of faith. And so instead of relying upon his own experience or his own understanding, he instead decides to go along with the plan of God, and he begins to walk around the city. Now, this is curious and interesting. I want to draw something out. Because with every step that he's taking, perhaps he's reminding himself of a promise that God had given to him sometime before. God had said, every place that the sole of your foot touches, I have given to you, past tense. So we don't know how big Jericho was. It's probably a walk of several miles that they did every day. And with every step, Joshua and the people of God are reminding themselves of this promise. Look, those walls, big walls, impenetrable walls, impregnable walls. But Jesus, I'm just doing what you said. I'm putting my feet down. I'm walking around this city because you promised to give us every place that we put the sole of our feet. They do it for seven days. They do it seven times on the seventh day. And then they let out a shout. Ah! And with everything within them, they're just screaming out this shout. And as their shouts go up, the walls come down and they take the city. And it's this great miracle that begins the conquest of Canaan for the people of God. 
course, we know it wasn't their shouts that took the walls down. We know this because of Hebrews 11, that great faith chapter. It tells us it was by faith that the walls of Jericho came down. Faith in what? Faith is taking what God has said and putting it into practice in our lives. Faith comes through the hearing of the word, right? And so we, we, through faith, take what God says, and we walk in that truth, and we declare our victory over the stronghold, and that's what causes the walls to come down. Faith stands on the promises of God, but note this, they had to walk it out, and so do you, and so do I. So let's go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes. We're going to walk this out. The Bible says that God has given to you, if you're a child of God, divine power to demolish strongholds. Is there something that is defying that truth in your life? If that's true, what that means is Satan is squatting in territory that God says belongs to him, and he purchased that territory with the blood of his own son, Jesus, on the cross. Jesus already said it is finished. The victory is won. Now, by faith, we're going to claim that victory tonight. We're going to identify the lie. We're going to walk out the truth of God. And as we do that, the walls will come crashing down just like they did for the Israelites. That's just how it works. God's divine power is here. It's present. And we can access it. We can unleash it in our lives. The way we unleash the power of God is through faith in what God has said. Jesus, thank you for your worth. Thank you for always leading us in triumph. Thank you for the victory that Calvary provides for us. Lord, I believe that there are men and women here tonight who have areas of their life where the enemy has asserted dominance and he's insisting to people and he's whispering lies to their hearts right now that this might work for other people, it might work for so-and-so, but the sin is too deeply entrenched. The walls are too thick, they're too high. And by faith tonight, Jesus, we declare victory in that area. You know your sin, you know your stronghold. I want you to identify it right now. This is your time with God. This is a moment that is going to have an impact on the way that you live the rest of your life. And I want you to, to picture that stronghold. Now I want you to go in your mind's eye to the cross of Jesus Christ. And I want you to plead the blood of Jesus over that stronghold. Say, God, I surrender this area of my heart. I surrender this area of my life. I declare my victory over this sin because of what you accomplished on my behalf through Calvary. Your blood takes my black sin and washes it white as snow. And so I declare the blood of Jesus. I renounce the lies of Satan. And I, in place of that lie, declare your truth over me. Now you're going to need to declare your truth, your faith statement over the lie that the enemy has planted in your soul. And as you do that, your walls are going to come down. And it happens through the work and the power of the blood of Jesus. So on the count of three, I want all of us to shout the name of Jesus. 
Because at the name of Jesus, every knee must bow. It's the name above every other name. It's the name that opens prison doors. It's the name that sets the captives free. It's the name that speaks of salvation and healing and wholeness and triumph and victory. And so we're going to say the name of Jesus together. And as our shouts go up, the walls are going to come down. Are you ready to do this with me? You can't just go into it half-heartedly. We got to shout together. We got to do it by faith. All right. Are you with me? All right. On the count of three, we're going to shout the name of Jesus. Ready? One, two, three. Jesus! Praise the name. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.